really thirsty. Can you think of a time when you were really thirsty? Anyone? Anyone out there? Yeah? When were you really thirsty? Anyone brave enough to answer? Right now? Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, All right. Anyone else? Anyone? Anyone? I know. Well, there's probably been times. Obadiah, do you have something? No. (laughs) Can you think of a time? Well, uh, there's a lot of times. A lot of times it happens in the summer, isn't it? Uh, Maybe we're playing sports or going hiking. And I was thinking of the last time that I was really, really, really thirsty, and it was this summer. Um, We went to St. Louis, and Kelly's family's from St. Louis, and and we went to Six Flags. In St. Louis, it's hot and humid. It was actually a decent day that we went, but we did not bring enough water. And even to buy a bottle of water at Six Flags is like $6, and I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it. So we got really thirsty, and we had to call their family that was coming later, and we're like, bring water. And when they came, then we just drank all the water. It was like, oh, that was so good. But we've all been there where at times where we've just been thirsty. We have this story where Jesus taps into, there's a thirst, but that thirst um, we see is so much deeper than just that physical thirst for water. And we see this theme of weariness um, in this passage, and we're reminded in this life, um, our souls are thirsty, and there is hope, and it's in Jesus. So this is such a wonderful story here, a beloved story for good, good reason um, that we look at today. As we begin, we're going to look at verses 1, verse 1 through 7, the very beginning of 7, and that kind of sets up the setting of the story, kind of what's going on and kind of sets the the scene for us in those first few verses. And then Jesus, in these first 15 verses in this passage, he says three different things. There's three different statements, and and they are unusual statements, and, and the listener, the Samaritan woman, um, she's a little bit perplexed and confused. And also, at the, at the end, there's some interest. He piques her interest. So we have these three statements of Jesus. So that'll kind of just kind of guide us through our time as we look at this passage. So, so the setting. First couple of verses. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making disciples and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So we see this beginning here, and we see the ministry of Jesus was growing. We saw that last week, how John's disciples are beginning to see in others that people are going to Jesus. And he's beginning to make disciples. So the crowds, they'd already, already crowds had come out from everywhere to see John the Baptist, where John was, was telling them to turn back to God and preparing them for the Messiah. And now Jesus has arrived, and there's a lot of activity. And the religious leaders, they've already sent a crew out to ask John, who are you? So they're concerned, and now more concern is rising. Uh, the religious leaders are probably a little intimidated by the influence of Jesus. They're, they kind of like the status quo of how things are at now. And it may be that there are people that are beginning to repeat some of the words of John. John had said of Jesus, this is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Or maybe others are like Andrew. If you remember Andrew, he just spends an evening with Jesus, teach, hearing Jesus teach and talk. And then he runs to Peter and he says, Peter, what does he tell him? I think I found who? The Messiah. I think Jesus is the Messiah. So 
maybe there's more um, rumors or things being spoken, and, and they are not excited. Uh, and Jesus, he knows that it's not time for him to be confronted. It's not time for him to be arrested and tried and um, eventually crucified, as we know the story of Christ. So they head north to Galilee. And the disciples, it just notes that Jesus, um, he is not the one are baptizing, but it's the disciples under the authority of Jesus. So you see this going on, and then they depart. Verse 3 and 4, I'll read the, verse 3 again. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So they depart, they're down in Judea, and they, they go up to the northern part to Galilee. But on that journey, um, they need to, to pass through Samaria. And it says that, that he had to go through Samaria. Now, there are some different ways to go around. A lot of times they would kind of go a long way to avoid Samaria, and we're going to see why in a bit. But, but they needed to go directly through. There's some things that Jesus needed to do in Samaria. There's someone he needed to meet and someone who would begin to share about Jesus there. So he, he goes through Samaria. Again, they, they, they go directly through, and a lot of times they might have avoided and gone a long way to get around Samaria because they didn't want to be near the Samaritans. Uh, maybe if you've grown up in church, you've kind of heard some of that, but maybe we'd be reminded, and maybe if it's new to you as well, uh, this is one um, short kind of summary that I found that I, was, I thought was really helpful um, in one commentary by, by Dr. Borchett, who says this. He says, The Samaritans were regarded by the Jews as a despised half-breed people, the offsprings of, settlement of a settlement policy of the cruel Assyrians, who after sacking the northern kingdom in 722... Well, so remember here, so we have a southern and northern kingdom... Um, after the death of Solomon, Rehoboam um, was, then became king of, that, um, of the southern kingdom. And then we have a split of the kingdoms. And first, Assyria attacks and sacks the northern kingdom. And when they do this, they take the people and they disperse them. Let me read that. It says, transports a large group of conquered Jews to other conquered sites and repopulates the partially vacated sites with other conquered people. So you have a moving around of people. Um, and some of the, Syri or the, the s people in the northern kingdom, they were taken out and transported to other places. And then people from other places, the conquered lands, were transported there. So you had a mix of peoples, an intermingling of peoples. And he goes on to explain the result was an intermingling of peoples who, in the mix mixing of the races, lost much of their former national identities and thus were forced to develop a new syncretistic identity. So they were syncretistic. That means you, you, you take bits and pieces and you come up with something new. And it's not quite the other and it's not quite this. So you have a, they have a, a strain away from um, true worship of the one true God. And they set up another place, a rival place of worship on, on a mountain where they worship. We'll talk about that more next week. Um, but they were a mixed people. And the Jews were not very um, accepting of mixed anything. Um, so they did not want to deal with uh, the Samaritans. They did not like them. There was great animosity. But here, Jesus, they travel directly through. They had to go through Samaria. 
and then verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So as they, they travel here, uh, they stop in this city, uh, right outside it, at the well, and, and they are at an important place, and a land that, as we see here, a land that Jacob had given Joseph. So it was a, a significant site, both for the Jews and the Samaritans, historically in that place, and, and they're there at um, this city and at a well that we're going to see. And it says, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, and a woman from Samaria came to draw. So we see here uh, that Jesus and the disciples, they stop at this well of Jacob. We're going to see in verse 8 that the disciples, they go into the city to, to get food. And Jesus is, is left behind here at the well, and it says that Jesus is wearied from his journey. Did you catch that? Jesus, he's wearied from his journey. In this, we see the humanity of Jesus, the humility of Jesus, and the humanity of Jesus who took on flesh and all of its weaknesses. And here they've traveled, um, they're about halfway through a three-day journey, and we see the weariness of Jesus as he rests here at the well. I think as we read that, we see this of Christ, and we might ask ourselves or one another, are you, are you wearied? Um, are you tired? And we see that Jesus, our good shepherd, our high priest, who intercedes for us, understands our weariness. He understands that he even calls us then to find rest in him. He calls us to walk with him as he carries our burdens and gives us rest for our soul. So he knows our weariness. He knows the weariness of body and soul. And he doesn't leave us alone in our weariness. He enters in and calls us to fellowship with himself, to rest. If you've been, um, if you're part of a, a DNA group where most of us, not all of us, are kind of in different places, uh, but we're in Hebrews for some of us. And uh, this last week with my DNA group, we were in chapter 2, and it speaks about Christ, who's our... our merciful, gracious high priest who, who even understands us um, as one who is tempted without sin, yet he can help us in our temptation that talks about. And this is our Messiah. This is our God. This is Christ Jesus. And then it says it's the sixth hour. So the sixth hour, we, it's a little bit of a different way of keeping time than we do, but it's noon. It's high noon. It's the middle of the day. I think there's several things kind of going on here with this this noon, this 12 o'clock, this six-hour meeting of this woman who comes to the well. One of those things, uh, I think, is we see in chapter 3, um, Jesus has a conversation with somebody in chapter 3. Do you remember who that was? Anyone? Nic- Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus, and here we have, have the Samaritan woman, and they're, they're kind of compared and contrasted a little bit, I think. With Nicodemus, you have this um, righteous a morally upright religious man. He's a leader as a Jew. And he comes to Jesus, how? At the, in the cover of night. But here we have the Samaritan woman uh, who we see even has uh, uh, living in a rebellious lifestyle who is probably an outcast, as we're going to see in her community, a Samaritan. And 
Here Jesus enters into conversation with her at the, the, the height of the day, the heat of the day, nowhere to hide. And then second here, a cultural note that the women of that day, they were the ones that would go, and it was their responsibility to go and draw the water. They would go to the well and get water. And it was an opportunity also for them to, to go with other women. It was a time to, to have fellowship and go and talk along the way. And also, um, it was safer to go in numbers of groups of women to go. It was just a safer way to go and get that water. Um, so typically, they would not be alone. And here we have a woman that's alone. And also, during the heat of the day, typically as these women would go and get water, it would be in the cool of the morning to get that water because they would have a heavy jars to haul up and even heavier jars to haul down. But here we see this woman that goes alone in the heat of the day. And most likely... Um, that she is one who is an outcast who desire, doesn't desire to bring any attention to herself, and she goes alone because she doesn't want to be seen. So she goes, this woman goes to get water. She's not going there for conversation. She's not going there. She doesn't have on her calendar um, an event today. I'm going to talk with Jesus, the Messiah. <laughs> that is not on her schedule. She's going to get that water and go back. So several things just going on here. And then finally, we get to the words of Jesus. Uh, this first unusual statement of Jesus is, give me a drink. Give me a drink. Anthony, can you forward it to that next one? Give me a drink. Second part of verse 7. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? So this conversation begins. Samaritan woman again going to the well. She's not there for conversation, definitely not there, as we're going to see to have um, her life kind of revealed by Jesus, but then offered the life that she needs, but she's there. And here we have Jesus speak to her and say, give me a drink of water. Um, he would be going against a lot of cultural traditions we're going to see here in a bit. But the woman, um, she must have been totally surprised. And just see, she's getting to get the water and she hears these words from this Jewish man and she's probably looking around like, Me? Are you talking to me? <laughs> Who are you talking to? And she is surprised. She's like, um, what are you doing asking me, a woman, a Samaritan woman? And as it says even there in the, the note that um, John, as he writes, notes, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. She must be thinking, you're mistaken. Um, you shouldn't be speaking with me. Why are you talking with me. And there's probably several things, again, going on of why this would have been an unusual thing for Jesus to do. First, she was a Samaritan. We've kind of talked about that already, that they avoided, and we see that here, that they didn't interact with the Samaritans. They were, were a mixed group that had strayed from the truth of the law and um, a lot of animosity. And you think even of the story when Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, we see that this would have been an unusual thing. Jesus makes who the hero. The hero of the story is that Samaritan. 
Um, so it was an unusual thing. And we see the Samaritan is the one who loves his neighbor and lives out the law of God. And he's bringing a strong um, illustration when he tells that story of the good Samaritan. If you think even in that story, he's telling that story to the expert of the law. And at the, when he gets to the end, he asks who was the neighbor. And the man can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan, right? What does he say? Do you remember? The one who showed him mercy. So it would have been unusual for this interaction just because she's a Samaritan, but then also she's a woman. Uh, one um, commentary noted this during that time period. It said, in, that, in this world, men rarely speak to women in public. It says, even if they are married to them, single men never speak or touch women at any time. So he would have been breaking that barrier as well of just him speaking to this woman. And as we see too later, not this week, but we'll see next week, that the disciples, they come back. And in verse 27, it says, Just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Why are you talking with her? And uh, the disciples are beginning to pick up that Jesus probably just thinks a little differently than everyone else. So they're like, I don't understand, but let's just hang on here. <laughs> let's watch and see. And then also, uh, we'll see more next week, but she was also a woman of low reputation. Again, that's probably why she went in the, the heat of the day. She was avoiding others because she was an outcast. And we see this interaction um, that we'll look at more closely next week. But Jesus uh, tells her to, to go go call your husband and, and come here. And the woman says, well, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says, well, you're right. You don't have a husband. and You've had five. And the one that you're with, the man that you're with now, is not your husband. Um, so we see that there's this tension in her life. And Jesus, though, even though he's wearied from his journey, he shares with this woman who, uh, in all um, ways, would have been a barrier to cross to speak to. And we see with Jesus that there are no barriers for Jesus, with whom he will speak and with whom he will offer salvation and eternal life. The barriers are brought down. And that's true for um, Jesus today. There aren't barriers for who the gospel is for. And there's no, for us, too, there aren't barriers for who we can share to you, but also barriers, aren't barriers for who the Lord can still, Jesus can still awaken the heart and pour out living water and living life into them. And uh, maybe kids at school, maybe there's some friends, you're like, oh, that person would never love Jesus. <laughs> uh, and I would never really want to talk to that person about Jesus. But we see this example of Jesus entering in. I've mentioned before um, before Christmas, when we were walking through John, how one of the books I'm using and looking at as I'm studying is from a previous pastor, a pastor back in Kentucky, um, Dr. Bill Cook, and um, he wrote this. He says, unlike Jesus, we often miss uh, appointments God makes for us. Our smartphones keep us from noticing people. We assume that people are not interested in hearing a good word about Jesus, yet we have no idea what God might be doing in someone's life. No one would have dreamed, no one would have dreamed that God was about to do something wonderful in this woman's life. Um, no one uh, except Jesus. Uh, that was a good word uh, for us to be reminded. Um, as you came in today, um, in, your, in your bulletin, uh, now some of you, these will be new, and some of you, you've seen these before, um, but they're just called the My I3 
cards. It's a place to write the name of three people in your life who you know don't yet know Jesus or you're not sure really where they're at with Jesus. And it gives us an opportunity to think about investing in them, praying for them, and then inviting and then introducing them to Jesus. And this is just an easy way, and I encourage all of us to think through it could, be, it could be relatives, it could be neighbors, co-workers, maybe um, someone um, where you, you go hang out. It's recently in our DNA. Someone mentioned that they began to do their quiet times um, out and about at a, at a coffee shop so you could maybe begin to, to meet people. Um, so I encourage you to, to take your I3, and if you, um, maybe you just grabbed one bulletin this morning, need more of these, um, there's some in the back, or kids maybe for you and your for those friends you have I encourage you to to even grab those so we have some i3 cards in the back they're just reminders for us to be intentional about relationships and begin to pray um, it's not a list of 50 just a list of three um, to pray for and know that they're they might be like that woman at the well and then jesus continues and he has another kind of unusual statement um, in verse 10 so look at that with me. We have this unusual statement. If, if you only knew, if you only knew, um, I would give you living water. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well it's deep. So Jesus, uh, he begins and he talks with her and he, he passed right through any formalities and he gets to the heart of the issue. Um, he doesn't talk about the weather. Um, he doesn't talk um, about how good the water is. I don't know. He just goes right in and he's intentional and hits into spiritual matters and he bypasses um, anything and he, he wants her to know what, who he is and what he has to offer and he begins to, to speak these things to her because um, he has something that she has always longed for that she doesn't even realize fully what she is longing for. And he's saying to her, if you only knew, if you only knew the gift I can give you, if you only knew who I was, you would you'd be asking me for water. Uh, you probably wouldn't ask just for a cup, but you'd be asking for a fountain. And yet he would be willing to give that fountain so he brings um, to the front the matter um, also of who he is, the matter of who he is, if you only knew who I was. And we're going to see in the process of this conversation as we look more next week that he begins to, to talk to her and she begins to see, hmm, you've got to be a prophet. And then later, are you the Messiah? And then later, he is, <laughs> he's the Messiah. Uh, we see she has a little quicker progression than Nicodemus does with trusting in Jesus. And then begins to speak about the gift of God, this living water. And Jesus often uses um, physical things to teach spiritual realities. And he speaks about this water, this gift that he has, this living water that he has to give. And it, the spiritual meeting, it, it'll take a little bit to get to the heart of, but we're going to kind of see that as we walk through and he speaks of living water. Now, living water here would literally mean spring water. Um, so a moving water, a spring water. And he's saying, I have living water. And they're at a well. 
And the well, even though maybe deep down it's spring-fed, it wasn't that flowing spring water. It was not considered living water. It was more of the stagnant water. And he says, hey, I have living water there. So that you can see why she's a little bit confused. She's like, living water? This is a well, sir. (laughs) I'm sure is what she's thinking. But we're going to see... Uh, he's speaking about something else, and we're going to get to that as we, we walk through. And then, again, the woman says, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Have you, uh, he gave us his well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So, I can only imagine the woman, she's understandably confused. She probably looks at Jesus, looks at the well, looks at Jesus, looks at the well, and it's like, what are you going to do? You don't have a bucket. You don't have a rope. This is a deep well. And the different accounts I read said it was probably at least 100 feet deep, maybe deeper. So this is a deep well. She's just looking. Living water? Yeah, Whatever. And she has probably a smirk on her face and is like, are you greater than our father Jacob? Um, you know, um, he gave us this well. He dug it. Um, he is our forefathers. He gave this to it. He drank from it. You, who are you? Uh, maybe jokingly, we would have said, well, who are you? Are you Inspector Gadget? Go, go, Gadget arm? You know, what's going on there? Or are you Iron Man? I don't know, Elon Musk? I don't know. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And if she only knew, if she only knew, if she only knew the depth of the living water that he could give her that would satisfy, he would have given her not just a cup of water, but again, that overflowing river, fountain, waterfall of life. So the conversation continues. Jesus continues to go a little deeper. So we have this third unusual statement of Jesus. The water I offer, it's like no other. It's not going to either. It leads to eternal life. Let's see, verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. So Jesus begins to explain and reveal what he's speaking of, of this, this living water. Again, using these physical um, realities to teach spiritual things. There's a reality of a thirst. Um, and we probably have no idea the reality to that. I mean, we can just turn on uh, a water faucet, water. Um, they understood thirst in a way that we didn't, or we don't. And here he offers spiritual living water to quench, um, not body, but the thirst of the soul the deepest need and the desire even for eternal life and relationship with God. And he speaks of this living water resulting in eternal life. And it's, it's eternal life flowing from the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We see later in John in chapter 7 where Jesus speaks again about living water. Let me just read some of those verses. This is chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, where Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, 
whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had been given, um, had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So he speaks of this, this living water, this eternal life flowing through, from the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Living water. And this idea of living water wasn't a brand new one in the concept of the way that God has spoken over the ages. In the Old Testament, there's place after place speaking of, of living water. There's pictures of, of future events where throughout flowing from Israel, rivers of water, of living water. One passage I think of is Jeremiah 2, verse 12 through 13. It says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be, utter, um, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people, they've committed two evils. They've forsaken me the fountain of living water, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can, only, that can hold no water. So here it's a picture of God's people who essentially they stiff-arm God who's offering them living water, and they're going after these man-made um, cisterns to catch water. It would be like, well, let me just ask the kids. Say on a hot summer day, um, you go out, it's hot out, and you have an option of either a hose um, for just unending water. I know we're not supposed to drink from hoses anymore, but most of us live through it. So a hose of water, or I say, hey, this is your other option. It's a small garden trowel, you know, those little small shovels. Um, and you can shovel that out. I'll even give you a piece of plastic. You can put a piece of plastic, make a hole of plastic, and when it rains, there's going to be water, and then you can lick it up. Which one would you choose? What's pretty obvious, I'm going to choose the hose, right? But here he's in this picture that this is what the people are doing, and this is what we do, where we we sometimes stiff-arm God that offers living water and say, I'm going to find another source of life. Um, Maybe that's... um, just sitting, um, like, my, my your life is just sitting and watching some, um, some, some sports today. That, that's going to fulfill me and fill me up. I might enjoy it, but it's not going to fill me up. Or maybe it's another relationship. Sometimes we run after relationships to, to fill us up and to, to, to help that thirst of our soul. Or maybe it's running after, maybe it is a gallon of ice cream. Just fill it up. Or maybe it's, um, maybe it's that of alcohol or marijuana or whatever it might be just to, to kind of ease our soul. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm the one that gives the living water that your soul longs for, the true life that's found in me. So that we have this just amazing picture here. And Jesus says, I'm the one that's come to give you living water that you might thirst no more. And, and here, verse 15 the woman, she begins to understand. There's at least a tiny kernel, a seed of understanding. And she says, the woman says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. You can just imagine. It was probably was a reminder every day of her uh, low state to go and get that water. She's saying, if I could only be done with this, not thirsty again. Oh, please, give me this water. Now, she probably doesn't fully understand yet. He's talking about just as the spiritual depth of what he's speaking of. But little by little, she begins to see, and she knows that she's thirsty. 
She knows that she's weary. I think, again, even in this story, that it begins with Jesus, that he is weary from his journey. And he enters into this life of a woman who is beyond weary, no doubt. I can just only imagine all that her soul longs for. So this woman, she's thirsty. She may be thinking, again, about physical things, but her soul um, needs Jesus. And Jesus enters in here and begins to speak of a living water, of true life, of true forgiveness, of true rest of the soul. The question is, are you thirsty? In the Old Testament, another passage that speaks about water, Isaiah 55, this is maybe one of my favorites, 55, I'm just going to read verse 1, where God says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. This is an offer of free water, free sustenance, life poured out. I think of Jesus, too, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28, that I reference often. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we begin to see this invitation of Jesus saying, I am the giver of living water that you might thirst no more. This morning, maybe you're thirsty. Maybe you're on a, kind of a far side away from Jesus, where you, in one sense or other, have kind of stuck your hand out. Um, to Jesus, and you've kind of run after a lot of other things that really, as we've talked about, all those other things we run after are just refuges that are lead to death, um, just candy-coated poisons that kind of help for a while but just never satisfy, and uh, maybe you hear Jesus even calling you this morning saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and also as Jesus said, he said, repent and believe, turn from your sins and yourself and trust in me and have living water, life for you. Uh, or maybe this morning just you've been walking with Jesus for many years and you need to just be reminded that Jesus is the one who's the giver of living water. He is our source and we are often thirsty and weary. But we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who doesn't leave us alone in our weariness and our thirstiness, but enters in and understands as our great high priest who is gracious and merciful and offers every day uh, overflowing mercy and grace and life. It doesn't end. (laughs) It doesn't end, and you don't have to earn it. Pour it out on you, that you might have rest. Father God, we thank you for your kindness to us. Um, Even recording, um, having John write down these words, as he remembered this encounter that Jesus had with this Samaritan woman, and the story of, of living water and life that comes from it. and In this life, we, we remember when we were far from Jesus, the thirstiness we had, and we even remember now just the weariness of this life under the sun, and we're reminded that the living water that we um, received when we first trusted in Jesus uh, continues. The, the work of His Spirit continues in us, mercy and grace in abundance poured out upon us through Jesus Christ. Uh, who is full of grace and truth, as we've seen in John, and we thank you. Lord, help us also to be those who are conduits of the message of Jesus Christ to those. Um, help us to not forget about those names that we 
will write down or have written down on that I3 card. Help us to, to be reminded that we don't know what you're doing in their lives. And may we speak words of truth, even if they're unusual. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.